0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Hey, well, welcome once again. I'm just excited that you're with us this morning. If you have a Bible, go right to Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 30. That's where we're going to hang out today and where we're going to get right into today. Uh, if you're new, thanks for joining with us. Um, we would love to connect with you. If you could just take a, a quick moment, go to weareparkway.com connect and fill out that brief form. We're going to send you a small gift just to say thanks for being here with us today. Um, if you're a part of the, the Parkway family or a part of the family of God, today is Communion Sunday. Uh, which basically is a time where we pause to remember the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, atoning for our salvation. And so I'm going to lead us in communion a little bit at the end. And so if you just take a quick moment, go grab um, a cracker or bread or wafer, whatever you have on hand, and some juice and some water so we can do that um, right at the end of the, the, the message today. I'm sure I speak for many of us when I say that I'm longing for us to be able to to meet physically together. I'm in our worship center right now because there's a part of me that just wants us all to be here. Uh, I, I've spoken to many of you, and I'm with you when I say that my soul thirsts for corporate worship. There's something about when we come together and the manifest presence of God that, that feeds our soul. And when that is not there, it feels like a piece has been taken from us. And it is important for us in those times, it's paramount to our spirit, that we learn to, even more so, be investing in our relationship with the Lord. Uh, worship at home. When you, when, you read the, when you read the scriptures, uh, pray as you read the scriptures. Get together with some people and talk about the things of God. Uh, take time, set time apart, and just and cry out to God. Pray that your spirit will be revived. Pray for the, the church, that people will be refreshed. Pray for our nation right now. We, we need uh, prayer. And I believe that we're going to be meeting uh, together soon, one way or another. In fact, I want to invite you to join with me on Wednesday nights, for our Wednesday night prayer right here at the church. Uh, we're starting to gather on, um, on Wednesday nights here in the church building from 6.30 to 7.30 uh, for an hour of just uh, pressing into the presence of God. It's a little bit structured, a little bit different than maybe what you're used to. And the purpose is just to really find a moment to be um, with the manifest presence of God. Psalms 84, we talked about this past week in prayer, says that one day in his courts is better than thousands elsewhere. And we met this last uh, Wednesday on Canada Day for an hour, and it was a powerful Um, time that we had together. So I want to encourage you to to join with me and be a part of that Um, this Wednesday. What I do need you to do if you want to come is you need to RSVP to me, message me, let me know you're coming because there is limited uh, capacity Um, and we want to make sure that we're still maintaining social distance and and keeping all those proper safety precautions in place. Uh, But Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 I was thinking about this that some of us lack in um, our relationship with God, because we, ha- we don't have those meaningful moments in the presence of God. We don't have those meaningful moments. Um, and I believe that the enemy, just like on a Sunday, that the enemy is go- your spiritual enemy is going to give you excuses as to why you can't be there. But I think if we are going to be the church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be Parkway Church, if we're going to see a move of God happen in our church and through our church and in our in our region, then we need to be a church that prays. We need to be a church to pray. So join with me, RSVP, message me, let me know, um, and let's just get into the presence of God. It was so powerful this past week. I'm expecting a lot this, this week as well. Uh, let me pray, and then let's get into the word this morning. Father, we just thank you that we can gather together. Lord, even if, if it continues to be different, we know that you're with us, and we know that we're together. And I just pray, Lord, that even though we are part, we would feel unified in spirit. We would feel unified as the church, Lord. So Holy Spirit, would you move um, in, in my area? Would you move in, in everyone's area, Lord? Wherever we are meeting, whatever place we are gathering, would you just allow your presence to descend? We know that you're everywhere, but we pray that your, your tangible presence would just meet with us this morning. As we look at your word, would you speak to us? Would you speak to every heart? Would you speak to every soul? Would you would you penetrate and would you allow people to be changed and transformed by your presence, God? And I pray, Lord, that something is revealed to us today that would actually um, drastically change the course of our relationship with you or refresh us, God, or, or, or stir us or remind us that we need to be moving forward in spirit, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We love you, God, and we pray that you're blessed above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled today's message, Divided We Fall. Uh, years and years and years ago, I was 19 years old and uh, years and years and years and years ago, it feels. I, I, I was 19 years old, around that age. And I was really into working out. Working out was a side passion. It was uh, something I did for hours a day. Um, it, was a, it was a hobby. Um, and at the same time, I had uh, been reacquainted with an old friend. And we had kind of one of those, I like to call healthy levels of competition. We are always trying to one-up one another, and or at least be on the same par with one another, keeping up with each other. Um, I want to say it was healthy, but maybe it wasn't. And so I was working out, and he wasn't into working out, but he wanted to go to the gym, and so he got a a membership. And he humbly asked me, hey, would you give me a hand? And I I was humbled by it, so I said, yeah, absolutely. But the day that he signed up to to go to the gym was was my leg day. And I don't know if you ever have a killer leg day, but they're killer. And so I said to him, I said, hey, listen, let's take it easy. Let's just um, get your body used to to working out again because you haven't moved in a long time. Um, but, you know, knowing that we have this competition and he wants to keep up and I wanted to keep up, um, that just wasn't happening. So he literally gave it more than his all. He went full tilt, he went extreme, and he pushed himself beyond his limits, beyond his limits. And by the end of the workout, he th- I don't know how he made it through, it was the adrenaline of the competition made it through. And when we got back to his house, he literally collapsed on a couch. And I watched his legs as they just like shook. They just like twitched because he was in so much. He was so exhausted physically. So exhausted physically. And for, for the next week, maybe even more, um, he couldn't wor- uh, walk. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had, uh, if you're in a working out and you had those crazy leg days, he literally couldn't walk. It was like he aged 60 years. Now, what, would it, what had happened was is that his, his head, his inside, And his outside, his muscles, were in disagreement. They were in disagreement. So that um, he pushed himself too hard and too quickly. Wherever there is disagreement, there's going to be division. And wherever there is division, there will be destruction. Wherever there is disagreement, um, there will be division. And wherever there is division, there is destruction. Division always leads to destruction. Divided, whether that is relationally, whether that is corporately as a church or personally, we fall. Now I was thinking about this. There exists in every single believer a struggle, a battle that that goes on. I I shared a message uh, or a series months ago. We talked about, about this war that we all face, this battle that's going on on the inside. And this battle, this division is between our flesh nature, our sinful nature, and our spirit, our spiritual nature. You know, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, um, they were they were tempted and deceived by the enemy, and they were lured by their desire, that their desire, and they gave into that temptation. And they end up disobe- disobeying God's only rule. And they took from the fruit that that God told them not to take from, and they ate it, and they disobeyed God, and in doing so, they brought sin into their life, they brought sin into their world, and they stepped into a way of life that basically said, I don't need or want God, in fact, I want to be like God. And because of that choice, all people of all time are born with what is called a nature to sin. We have a natural inclination towards doing wrong. We have a natural inclination towards missing God's mark, missing God's standard. That's what sin is. Imagine the archer, um, and he's he's shooting an arrow towards a target, but he's constantly missing. That's what sin is. The target is what God wants us to hit, but sin is missing the mark. Now, if our conscience is seared, if we've indulged that sin nature so much, it's hard for us to see why sin is wrong. It's hard for us to know um, why why many Christians think certain activities or lifestyles or attitudes of the heart um, is sin or what the Bible says is sin because our, our conscience is seared. And many people live in blindness to their own sin because they've indulged that nature. They've indulged that that one side. In, in the battle, in the struggle, they've leaned so much to the flesh that they cannot see what is wrong with certain actions with certain things. Now as believers, as followers of Jesus, when we commit our lives to Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit uh, is deposited into our life as a guarantee, as a seal, and he leads our spirit towards holiness and towards godliness. This, the flesh nature, the sin nature is still there, along with our spiritual nature that is now seeking after God, and that is where the battle exists in every single believer, believer. between that, that nature that is, that is natural towards sin and the spirit nature that wants to do what God wants us to do now Paul in his letter to the church in Galatians he talked about this he described it really well in Galatians chapter 5 he says the, the the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh He says they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do they're in conflict so that you don't do what you want to do. Because if I did what I wanted to do, I would always lean towards that nature. I would always lean towards wrongdoing. I would always lean towards what is sin, what is missing God's mark. I would give in and I would do what feels natural. And what Paul is telling us is that there are these two natures, the natural one, which is sinful, and the spiritual one, which if we lean into is being renewed day by day, and he goes on to say that to lean into that spiritual nature, to walk according to the Spirit, and you will not fall. He says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So when you've when you got that struggle going on, lean this way. Lean into the Spirit. Lean into what God's doing. Walk according to this way, and you will not fall. Now the problem is, is when we try to satisfy both natures, we're in disagreement right when we try to satisfy our, our flesh and we try to fi- satisfy our spirit we 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 become divided and listen we all fall short we all make mistakes but division of the soul always leads to destruction division of the soul always leads to destruction so we're we're in the book of mark we're studying the book of Mark, going through the book of Mark, looking at stories that the Spirit is causing us to stop and pause and, and talk about, um, and in, in reading, and we're doing so, we're reading about Jesus and, and the encounters he has along the way, and in the story that we're reading today, the passage that we're reading, there's, there's words that Jesus says that speak to this, and I really believe that God is trying to say something to us as a Parkway Church family. He says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If a house, if a kingdom, if a nation, if a church, if a person is divided against themselves, they cannot stand. So let's take a look at this. Mark chapter 3, verse, uh, starting at verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. You know, this is something that we're seeing a lot of in the book of Mark and in the gospels. Um, There's something about the person of Jesus that draws the crowds, right? There, There is something about his life and his teaching and his power and his presence that is attractive. Listen, the true power and presence of Jesus draws people in. The true power and presence of Jesus draws people in, people whose hearts are ready and hungry for him. If you are hungry for God, you're going to go to places where you can meet God. That's why a lot of you tune in on Sunday mornings. That's why you're watching right now. Because there's a part of you that is hungry for it. There's a part of you that is longing for it. If you are thirsty for the presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus is going to draw you in. That's why many of you engage in prayer. Because you're thirsty These people were drawn to Jesus, but the people that were drawn to Jesus were people that had been pushed away by the religious elites of their day. The religious people, the teachers of the law of of Jesus' day had made accessibility to God so unattainable, so hard that the people had a hard time meeting with God. But Jesus came and he was changing that. He was making, um, through his ministry and through his teaching, he was making God accessible, He was coming around, he was announcing that the kingdom of God was here, and the mark of the kingdom of God, you gotta catch this, you gotta lean into me this morning, okay? Be with me. The mark of the kingdom of God um, intervening into the life of these people were miracles, was healing, deliverances, and forgiveness of sins. It was the presence of this person named Jesus. People were hungry for that. They were hungry for that because they were touched by that. You know, I look at what's happening across our nation right now, and I wonder if God has created a hunger in the people of Canada. People aren't often hungry for God unless they recognize their need for him. If you don't see a need for God in your life, you will not be hungry for him, and you will not pursue his presence. You aren't drawn to the presence of God if you're filling the need elsewhere. You, You aren't thirsty for his presence if you've satisfied those cravings, if you're indulging in That sin nature. If there is little desire in you for the things of God, perhaps it's because you've met that craving somewhere else. Ouch, pastor, that's hard. I don't like hearing that. Would I be a good pastor if I didn't tell you the truth? If there isn't a hunger in you for the things of God, it's because you've satisfied the craving somewhere else. And Canada's food of choice, I think, is materialism prosperity, it's wealth, it's possessions, it's comfort. And I believe wholeheartedly right now that God is trying to wake up his church, not even just non-Christians, not even just people who aren't followers of Jesus, but, but people who claim to be followers of Jesus. He's trying to wake up his people by creating a need and a thirst for him. Now, we often mix it up, right? We think that, that prosperity, having comfort, blessing is a sign of, God's, of that God is with us, that he's for us. And, and when we don't have that, that God is not, un, is not with us, that he's unhappy with us. It, but you're not always blessed because, you, because, you, because of your life. You're not, you're not blessed because God is happy with you. You're blessed because of his grace. It's called unmerited favor. And I think sometimes that physical comfort, prosperity, and wealth can actually be a sign of the opposite. That God has, that God has just allowed you to, to have in this life because your soul is so empty that your eternity is, is, is void and empty. Which is a hard pill to swallow. That's just my thoughts. I wonder if this pandemic is, is shaking the fabric of our nation, stripping people of materialism and creating a hunger and need for the presence of God. Like all of a sudden, people's lives are shaken and they're starting to evaluate, starting to cry out. You know, you look throughout the scriptures, it was when people were hurting that they cried out to God and responded. It was when the people were found to be in slavery in Egypt that they cried out to God and he responded and he delivered them from slavery and he made them into a nation which led to the church eventually. It was need. and Some people think that's a crux. Some people think that's, that's a problem. You know, that religion is just this, this fabric, this thing that's been formed because of needy people. But I wonder if God has created need across our nation right now. And in your heart, a thirst and a hunger for more of him. Now God often uses suffering to draw people in. You know, I've I've been on on missions trips before to to other nations that are impoverished, that are destitute, and I've seen people who lack a significant amount of anything. Materials, food. But do you know what they have more than what I have? They have such passion for God. Like, I met people that had such passion and love and depth for God. They had such hunger and thirst. They, their prayer life, like, I remember before we came on a, a certain ministry, we were in the Dominican Republic, ministering with some local missionaries. We met this, this, this pastor of this church and, the, and this church people that literally prayed all through the night for our coming. The church gathered and prayed all through the night for our missions team that coming. When was the last time we did that? These people had nothing, and yet they had everything. When was the last time you felt a hunger for Jesus? Like a real hunger. And when was the last time you met that hunger with Jesus? See, not everyone was hungry in in the story in in Mark chapter 3. Jesus' biological family wasn't drawn to Jesus like the crowds were. In fact, they looked at him, and they looked at what was going on, and and they considered him to to be crazy. They thought he lost his mind. His devotion to the cause, his care for the people, and his, his pursuit of following God's mandate for his life, they thought he lost his mind. And so they went to take charge of him. They, and you know, this is going to often be the reaction of other people to, to followers of Jesus. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you've lost your mind. They're going to think a screw is loose because there is a lack of understanding to people who are still blind to the truth. There, there, there is a lack of understanding in people who are still veiled to the truth of Jesus because they're trying to grasp the things of God through reason alone, but you cannot grasp the things of God through reason alone. It's not enough. It's foolishness. That's why Paul talks. About. He says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. They're not seen with a regenerated heart, but one that is still hardened and deceived. So Jesus' own family, they don't see what the crowds see, Right? They're like, man, our brother's lost his mind. Let's go get him. They still care for him enough that they're going to go and take charge of him. They want to get him out of there. They think he can't care for himself. And as they're on the way, there's another group that comes along that isn't hungry for Jesus the way the crowds were. The teachers of the law. It says this in verse 22 It says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By, prince, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now, these are the higher-ups, right? They're the ones that are running the religious business in the time of Jesus. They had got word um, up in Jerusalem that someone is messing with business, and so they came down from head office, and they're going to see who is causing the disruption, Right? this is like the district office comment. This is like the superintendent comment. this is like the, the, the fancy suits and the brief case, cases. And they don't attribute insanity to the character Jesus. In fact, they look at what He's doing, his actions and his power, and they attribute that to evil possession. They, they say that He's possessed by Beelzebub, by Satan himself. They're saying that Jesus and Satan are in collusion with one another. And so Jesus answers them with this. He says, "How can Satan drive out Satan?" If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. You know, I was about 15 years old. I was in grade 10 when it happened. Went on a missions trip to Monterey, Mexico. And we were there uh, serving the homeless and the poor, and running kids' programs and food programs and, and working with local missionaries. And we had come back, and, and we were absolutely excited. Our hearts were full. We were exhausted. Um, but I came home to unexpected division. Uh, sparing you the details, the night I arrived home, my parents' marriage fell apart. The spiritual vitality in our home went south. The past life-changing week on the missions trip became an absolute blur. And the next three, four years of my life, my home life, um, was not a home. It was a war zone. It was like a ticking time bomb ready to go off. You, could, you would come home, and you could feel the tension hit you like a weight. My home was divided. Now, I personally masked my pain and my problems, and there was division in my own life that led me to abandon my faith, give up on God, walk away, and I indulged my sinful nature. Like anything that I was once tempted to do but had strongly opposed, I just gave way to now, thankfully, about three, four years later, God grabbed a hold of my heart and began to do a work in me. Um, but that didn't really prepare me for what happened at this time. It was about 19. I just turned 19. It was my 19th birthday. And I had gone out that, that day and that evening and hung out with some friends, dinner, movie, you know, hanging out. And I didn't get back till late at night. Everyone was sleeping. I woke up the next morning. My mom told me that yesterday, on my birthday, my dad finally left. The division in their marriage and the division in their home, in our home, it couldn't last. It imploded. It had reached its limit. Division always leads to destruction. Division always, always leads to destruction. It never leads to health and wholeness. If a house, if a kingdom, if a person is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. A marriage that is divided leads to divorce. A, a nation divided results into corrupt politics and, and civil war. A community divided in, uh, leads to individualism and tribalism. An economy divided yields poverty and injustice. Humanity divided is all these things on a global level. And look at what's happening across our world. Faith divided is sin. Divided, we fall. You know, we all know, I think, what it's like to live divided lives. You know the times when your outsides don't match your insides, when you're trying to satisfy both natures. You're one way at work, and you're another way at home, and you're one way with certain people, and you're a different way with other people. You know, and your life becomes really divided into pieces. Your behavior and beliefs and ethics are all situational. There's a work life, there's a family life, there's a social life, there's a a personal life, there's a church life, and soon we're left with a very divided life. Talking with one guy once, he says, "I, don't, I mean, my greatest fear is that I'm going to be found out. That people are going to find out that I'm not who I say I am. One commentator about this, this passage, Jesus read this, he said, that's why the crowd gathered around Jesus. That's why the religious authorities opposed him. That's why the families tried to restrain him. In their own way, each of them was trying to put their pieces of their life back together, but it wasn't working. They won't fit. They've been found out. You know, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was dealing with divided homes and divided kingdoms. He'd healed uh, lepers. He had had cast out demons. He had made paralyzed uh, men walk. He he had healed the sick. These houses and these kingdoms were divided. The strong man had invaded their home. And that is a tactic. That is a a tool of the enemy um, um, to cause division that is in you. I think it's one of the greatest tools. That and fear. If I can make you afraid and I can make you divided, then you're going to be destroyed. And because he knows where, where sin is increased more in your life, that division is established. And when that division is established, um, your faith begins to begin dismantled. Your, your, your relationship with Jesus is severed. Your, your purpose is destroyed. You, you ruin uh, your family and it breaks the church. When Jesus is talking about the straw man, he's talking about Satan, our spiritual enemy, who enters the home to cause division. How can Satan drive out Satan? How, how can Satan drive out Satan? Yet we do this in our internal battle, right? We want holiness. We want godliness. We want, we want the anointing of the Lord. We want purpose. We want to be more like Jesus. We want, we want his power. Yet we don't bind the strong man. We, we give him reign. We indulge in our sinful nature. We, we fill our lives with ungodliness. We give way to our flesh. And I wonder if Jesus in this passage, in this message, is trying to let us know that filling your life with ungodly doesn't drive Satan out. I can't do ungodly things and expect to be godly. How can filling my life with ungodly things make me become more like Jesus? How can indulging in my sin, my flesh, move me towards holiness? Move me towards peace and joy and tranquility? Godly purpose, pursuing pride and prosperity and greed and envy and selfish ambition, keeping wrong and darkness and malicious things in my life, how does that allow light to permeate through my life? How can I expect to be used by God if I'm not pursuing him? How can Satan drive out Satan? I can't keep up the same life, the same habits, and expect change. I need to change in order for there to be change. Satan cannot drive out Satan because Satan is not divided against himself. But we are. We lean into both. We indulge both natures. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So if I serve both my flesh and my spirit, I will not last. I will not last. One will come out victorious, and that's the one I serve the most. I want God, but I want money, right? I want God, but I want to be successful. I want God, but I want happiness. I want God, but I want to do what I want to do. I can't serve two masters, Jesus said. I can't. Now, what was Jesus actually doing? He was actually working against Satan. He was working against the kingdom of darkness. He was working against the dominion of the enemy in order to free people from the strong man. Now where is our life divided? How, are, how is our life and, and to what extent have we created conflict and division in, in our relationships? In what ways do we live fragmented lives? and out pieces here and there. What is it that is in your life that shatters your life? Anger, resentment, greed, insecurity, loneliness, perfectionism, sorrow, fear, envy, guilt. That is the, the this, this is what Jesus wants for our lives. For you, for me to be free from all of that that exists in us. That's why he came. To bind the strong man, to free us from the hold of sin. So that we can pursue the spirit. So we, we can lean into the things of God. And listen, we cannot do that alone. You and I do not have what it takes. Because Jesus is the stronger one. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He puts our lives and our houses back in order. He binds the forces that divide, heals the wounds that separate, refashions pieces into a new whole. There is nothing in your life, there is nothing in your life that cannot be put back together by the love of Jesus. But listen, you have to lean into the Spirit. These people that came to Jesus, the crowds, they were hungry. They wanted what he had. Do you want what he has? You actually want what he has. Which nature are you serving? You can't do both. And I I will testify to my own life that when I've tried, I fall short. I fall short hard. I feel empty. I feel void. I feel like I'm lacking. i got to lean into the Spirit. That's why Paul talks about that. Don't gratify the the sinful nature, but lean into the Spirit. Walk according to the Spirit. I will not fall. I don't want to fall. Then i got to do the godly thing. I gotta lean into the Spirit. In just a moment, we're gonna take communion together, and so I want, you know, your follower, Jesus, grab those emblems at this time. I just want to touch on a, a, something really quick, though. I'm parched. I can't. I can't talk about this passage in Mark chapter three without um, touching on this part. Jesus makes this statement. The teachers of the law, which is often hard and difficult for us as followers of Jesus to grasp, or we get anxiety when we talk about it or think about it. He says in verse 28, he says, I tell you the truth, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander. Thank the Lord for that. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an internal of an eternal sin. And he said this, verse 30 says, He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Jesus had done what any unprejudiced person would have acknowledged as a good thing, right? He had just healed an unfortunate man of of the power and bondage of evil. He'd he'd changed lies. He'd showed compassion. But the teachers of the law had ascribed it to Satan. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to call light darkness. It's to call the good things that God has done evil when you know very well that it's good. It's, It's to call the good work of God the work of Satan. And the teachers of the law had declared Jesus um, and the things that he had done, these holy, sacred, beautiful things, to be unclean and dirty and deprived of God. And what I think they were doing is they were projecting their own character on Jesus. Right? They were projecting and, 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 and showing their, through their accusations more about themselves than actually about Jesus. They were showing the division in their own heart. Now this, this often causes great anxiety. I remember when I was a kid wondering, you know, have I committed the most unforgivable sin? But it's not so much an isolated act as it is a, a settled condition of the heart. It's, a, it's a, a state of the heart. It's the result of a long history of willful disobedience and willful acts of sin. And I, I think it's, it's not so much that the person cannot be forgiven, or, or it's not so much that God refuses to forgive them, but they're unwilling to let God forgive them because of the hardness in their heart. So if you're, if you're troubled by that, if you ever wonder, it's not you. Because even just in, in, tr- in feeling troubled, there's, there, you're showing care and, and repentance in your heart. But the, the teachers of the law, there was such division in their lives that, that had led to their destruction. You know, I believe wholeheartedly that healing, wholeness, freedom, forgiveness is available to you, that reconciliation is, is, is here for your divided soul. I believe for for the divided people today that you can begin to walk on a path of unity in your soul, in your home, and in your life. And I believe this because of what Jesus did on the cross. I believe this because of the atoning work of Jesus. He took our sin. He made things right. He defeated destruction. He defeated death by his resurrection from the dead. And so we're going to remember today, and our way to remember as believers, as followers of Jesus, is by taking what we call communion together, something that Jesus had established as a way for his followers to pause, to reflect, to examine ourselves, and then remember the sacrifice Jesus made. But Paul, Paul talks about examining ourselves before we do. So what I want us to do is I want us just to pause before we take communion and examine ourselves, to, to make sure that... It, that there's nothing in us that's going to make us guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. Because if there is something in us, we need to bring it before the Lord. We need to receive forgiveness, and then we need to remember together. So let's just pause for a moment, as, as, as we have this time. Wherever you are, pause and search your heart. Is there something in me? Is there sin in me that I need to confess I need to bring before God? Just just pause. And if you're not a believer today, you've never committed your life to Jesus, this is your moment to search yourself and see the sin in your life and to confess it before God and to receive Jesus and become a follower of Jesus and to be transformed and receive eternal life. Lord, would you search us and help us to examine and see our lives as you see them and bring before you, God, the sin that is in our life. Help us to confess it and receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. So we look to uh, the bread, which represents his body. i got a wafer. You may have a cracker, a piece of bread. I don't know. But we look to this, and that represents the body, the sacrifice he made, the, the life that he gave in substitution for ours. We deserve the death that he he had, but he took it upon himself. And so we take the bread and we break it and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's do this today. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for mine. In the same way, he took a cup of wine at the time. I have some juice. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, a, a blood representation. A blood covers the sin. And it represented the, the sacrifice, the blood that he shed to cover all of our sin. And so we take the cup, we drink it, and we participate in Jesus' sacrifice. Would you take? Oh, thank you, Lord. God, I just thank you And we pause to reflect and to remember the cross, to remember what you went through, what you did for us. Your body that was given, your blood that was shed in place of us. The new covenant of grace, of forgiveness for sins, given to us for all of our sin or for all the division that exists inside of us, for every slander that we utter. Thank you, Lord, that that you save us from our sinful nature. But Lord, I pray, Lord, even as we reflect on the cross, that we would be transformed and you would instill in us a hunger and a thirst and help us to lean towards the spirit, towards our spiritual nature, Lord, and to walk according to your spirit so we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Lord, my, my heart for us as a church, as people who are tuning in, is that we would no longer have division in our soul. We would no longer have division in our home, in our church, in our nation, because division leads to destruction. Divided, we fall. But, but, but breathe unity in us. Breathe unity in this church. And breathe a hunger in us, God. I want more. And I know for many of us, we want more. We want more of you. In Jesus' name. You know, right at the end of the story in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' family shows up. And they can't get in because the crowd is so thick. And so someone goes over to Jesus and says, Hey, your mother and your brothers are here. I just, I wish I was there because Jesus kind of gets a little little snarky, I think. He kind of looks around. These are my mother and brothers. And he says... He says this, he says, Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. You know, the soul, undivided, dedicated to God, doing the will of God, is a part of the family of God. It's one that is whole and complete. Division no longer exists. Don't feed both natures in you. It's a battle, and they'll both be there until, we, until we're in eternity. But walk according to the Spirit. Do the will of God, pursue Him, and let your life be free from division. And I believe if we do that and a hunger is instilled in us and we feed that hunger with the presence of God, we're going to see radical change in our church. We're going to see radical change in Parkway, even in this time. Hey, listen, join me on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 right here in the space. We're, it's going to be set up different, but I just want us to meet with the presence of God, meet with the manifest, the tangible presence of God. Just me- message me directly, Facebook, email me, call at weareparkway.com. Let me know you're coming, because we need to. We need there's a limited capacity. We want to make sure we're we're we are safe in the space. But let me know you're coming, and let's just meet with God Wednesday, 6:30 to 7:30. Bless you.